I think we should be teaching entrepreneurship and the future of, I think, both Canada and the U.S. is successful entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial small businesses. And currently in Canada, they make up a large part of our economy and it's growing substantially. And so we need to fuel that. And just the way things are changing, I don't, I don't see business and the GDP being controlled by these large conglomerates. It's going to be the small, the small businesses. So we need to teach that. So, so they have a chance to become successful and understand how to manage books and manage money and manage risk and, and just be smart. Uh, again, global leaders, like global leadership and, and putting, trying to move the needle in, uh, in education and in the way that, that these businesses are affecting the environment and affecting the economy and affecting things like equal rights. It's all changing. And, and I think that's, uh, that needs to start at a very young age. I spent all day today writing. I love coffee, but I hate jitters. I was at Starbucks and I'm a little bit bouncing off the walls. That's why I'm pumped to tell you guys about today's show sponsor, Four Sigmatic's Lion's Mane Blend. If you haven't tried Lion's Mane or the other awesome mushrooms that this Finnish company is putting out there, I definitely recommend it. Between the podcast, books, startup coaching, and life as a dad, I need to be switched on and creative in a big way. And Four Sigmatic's proprietary blend, it's got only 40 milligrams of caffeine for creative, natural, drug-free productivity to power your day without the crash, side effects, or addiction. And you know what? The flavor, it's awesome. Listeners, if you go to disruptors.fm fs, you'll save 10% off anything from Four Sigmatic. They've got some incredible superfood blends. I recommend checking out their Four Mushroom blend as well. And you know what? You'll get free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Again, that's disruptors.fm fs. Use offer code disruptors to save 10% and to take it to the next level. Tim Ferriss recommends this to everybody. Jonathan Levy, one of the awesome guests we had, our Superhuman Academy all-star, he loves it as well. And it's powering elite performers like you everywhere. Are you going organic, keto, paleo, some type of diet for incredible performance? You want the healthiest foods delivered to your doorstep fast and easy? Well, you should check out today's show sponsor, Thrive Market, the best organic online grocery store in the States. They've got gluten-free lentils and breads, chemical-free cleaners, organic coconut milk, all at up to 50% off delivered to your door with a subscription to Thrive Market's awesome online health store. Listeners get a bonus 25% off their first order, up to 20 bucks when you use our link, disruptors.fm slash thrive. Check it out. They've got just about everything at rock bottom prices for, for best in class quality, regardless of how you're eating. And I know I switch it up. I'm sure you guys do as well. Disruptors.fm slash thrive for more details. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Sustainability is a big deal, and so is personal empowerment. And today's entrepreneur, Karine Chambers Sani, is doing just that in a weird and interesting way. Today we've got the founder of DivaCup on the program an ecotech startup that's focused on making women's feminine hygiene products more sustainable and more fairly distributed around the world. She's been awarded Ernest Young's Entrepreneur of the Year for Sustainable Products and Services, been recognized as one of Canada's 40 Under 40, and her company Diva Cup has been listed as one of the top 150 in 2018 and 2017 in terms of fastest growing and most important companies. In today's episode, we'll discuss how we can design more eco-friendly products and businesses for the future, why packaged goods and disposables are ruining our world, the advantages of self-funding startups, why businesses need to be the ones who build a better world, how Kareen would improve the education system, why social media is such a powerful force for good and bad, and how businesses can address inequality and create triple bottom line growth and value for the world. This one's an interesting, fun, out-of-the-box one where we get into all kinds of things, sexual topics, related to the business, the products, and creating something that women everywhere need. I think it's a fun one. I think it's a different one. And I hope that inspires entrepreneurs out there 
to find big problems that most aren't thinking about and solve them in interesting, sustainable ways. So without further ado, I give you Kareen Chambers Sani. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So Kareen, I love what you guys are doing in that you're fusing a couple of interesting forward-looking trends. You've got the eco, better yet, let's start this way. Tell me 30,000 foot view, what are you doing? And then we'll dive in. Sure, well, we've kind of followed this 20 year journey um, with an idea that my mom had when she was 13 years old for a reusable menstrual cup. And it's just a really simple device, but we knew that it had big implications for the world. It's eco-friendly, it's a lot more convenient. And so when she found out that the concept has actually been around since the 1930s, I was about 14 years old, and we took this whole concept and decided this needs to be modernized, this needs to come to the world. And she was selling another kind of earlier version of the cup um, for a number of years. And once I finished school, we decided this was our chance to really make a, a better product and and disrupt an entire category. And the reason I have you on, this is not a traditional style interview in some ways, but in a lot of ways it is. You guys are trying to empower people by creating a product that's better for the environment, and you're breaking down a bunch of barriers to do that. That's why I wanted to get you on the program. So that's kind of the that's kind of the genesis of where the product came from, but why does it actually matter? And it's a little bit weird to be talking about feminine hygiene products. Is that something you've had mm-hmm. struggled with as a startup founder? For sure, especially when we started out 20 years ago, most of our buyers were were males and most of them were gray-haired, you know, in their 50s and and older and it was definitely we faced a lot of resistance and rejection along the way. And you know, we just felt that this concept did matter to the world because 45 billion menstrual products end up in landfills every year. And we can't continue to to put that number of products. And this was a better way, a better solution along with, you know, other reusables. But for us, like this was the solution that really excited us and we just felt the most comfortable with and, you know, provided just the freedom with a product. With traditional products are don't really work very well and it was just somebody had to do something about it. And that's that's what we decided to do. So this this product has had an incredible impact on the environment. It saves money. It's better for health. It um, doesn't allow for chemicals to be off-gassing into the body and disrupting hormones and all these different different issues that women are facing. Or into the environment so it, as well. It's Yeah, absolutely. And think of, you know, the bleaches and chemicals leaching into the ground through the landfills. So there's there's a lot of far reaching implications and, and one of the big things for the environment with, with disposables, especially tampons, are the plastic applicators that end up in the waterways and they end up washing up in droves on beaches and wildlife chokes on them. And it's, it's just uh, very detrimental to our ecosystem. So it's something that we've become passionate about and has grown into a passion for not only, you know, talking about the eco-friendly and the actual product itself, but the greater umbrella of kind of gender equity and and what does menstruation actually look like in 2020 and how are how are people's lives around the world being affected by the taboos, stigmas, discrimination and lack of accessibility to uh, menstrual care products around the world and lack of accessibility to funding absolutely yeah did you have trouble with that as a as a female founder walking into those boardrooms trying to raise money well we we did we we managed to convince our local small business banker to give us a very small loan really yes and it was very unusual but i think he just <laughs> took a liking to us and and trusted that um my mom had already built a, a semi-successful business that was profitable, so he decided to take a chance on us, and we were really lucky because I know that's not the case, and it's very, very hard to do. But it, was, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough to get us started, and we built our first uh, 
kind of, it wasn't a full tool, but it was something that kind of got us started to make our original prototypes and start getting the FDA and Health Canada approvals that we needed and, you know, a little bit of money for marketing and getting our website set up. And within within about nine months, we had paid it back and we bootstrapped our own growth the whole time. And for the last 20 years, we're still 100% family owned that we we never had to really face that um, because we were really, really careful with our spending and we were kind of growing under the radar. So no one really knew who we were, what we were doing. And then all of a sudden in the last five, six years, like our company has exploded and, and grown and expanded into all the mass market. But we managed to fund our own growth. How big is the company today? As far as employees, we are uh, almost 50 employees with a couple hundred that are involved on a daily basis through our partners, uh, different companies, and we're over $30 million company now. And part of the reason I wanted to get you on is there's a million and one problems with the world that people see that most others don't see. And each of those are little tiny solutions to sustainability, to a better world. It seems like that's some of what you found. And I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for other founders to do similar things. How do you network with those kind of founders? And is it a kind of build me up buttercup type approach of working with other people doing similar stuff? I, I think mentorship and, and connecting with your peers is so critical. I am part of organization called Tech Canada and in the US it's called Vistage. So it's kind of peer mentoring and and coaching through the organization. I'm part of a lot of different groups. And frankly actually I found that a lot of the awards that we've applied for in the last five, six years have really helped open a lot of doors for me personally and connecting with other entrepreneurs in very similar situations. And Another way that we've that's been really helpful was our through our B Corp certification. So B Corp is a global movement for brands using their business as a force for good. And the values that we withhold within the company are really important to us. So we we go to the conferences and we connect with our, our local B Corps and, and that's also been another really great way to connect with like minded, like minded businesses. So I know that for founders that want to get funded, a lot of times the B Corp or any type of really positive benefit outlook can be a negative indicator to VCs. Why did you guys decide not to take money? Was it just that you didn't need to? And then what are your thoughts about how it is today? There's a lot of parts to that question. So the first part, why why we didn't take money, um, we didn't, we maybe did need it. We could have used it. But we were just very adamant that we wanted to grow organically and sustainably. And it always, it's a little bit scary when you grow really, really quickly, when you don't have these, these things in place. And early on, we made some mistakes. And even when we entered into the big chains, it's just the risk is so much higher. So we felt that it was really important for us to to manage our growth sustainably and and not take on too much. And we probably could have grown a lot faster. Maybe it wouldn't have taken us the last 20 years, but I also think that we probably would have fallen flat on our face, which I think that a lot of a lot of companies face because they take on too much too fast and they're not prepared. They don't have the processes in place. They don't have the people to support support the the growth and you also uh, people forget that you need marketing like you need to have the brand awareness so for us it was really important to create this movement um, especially for our business and for for what we were trying to do that movement behind the product having having raving fans talking about the product talking about the concept and the success around that really helped us establish established a base cons- and a really important consumer base that helped that helped us sustain the growth as we grew. How much of that building the user base was around the mission of the company, i.e. the sustainability part as opposed to the product itself? I think the sustainability was always always something we we marketed and we talked about, but because 20 years ago people didn't really care about that as much, 
and it was more about the convenience and about how this this product could could change their life. So it was more about the product. It's just such a tricky, especially for menstrual care. There there really hasn't been any innovation in many many decades, and it's not something people are comfortable discussing. There are also a lot of taboos around around that. So if you say this is the best thing in the world because it's it's eco friendly, that's kind of going to be down the list when it's like there's they've got a lot of other obstacles to overcome before they even get to the environment. Um, so we had to we had to communicate in other ways. I think um, I don't think the environment at that time was as huge of an impact as it is today. I think the environment has is finally people are concerned. People are generally, you know, you didn't see people bringing reusable cloth bags into grocery stores and and every single person walking around with a reusable water bottle 20 years ago. So from that perspective, we've come a long way and we're glad to see that part of the movement has really caught on. What's entrepreneur's role in driving that type of movement in terms of what do we need to do? Some things are individual, some things are regulatory, some things are capitalism at work. How can we create more of that capitalism at work? I think social media has been such a powerful tool for that. And I do think as as entrepreneurs and as business people, that it is our responsibility. And unfortunately, the the way that business has been done for the last hundred years has really had a negative impact on our world and and created a lot of damaging effects. And the fact that menstrual cups and this concept that works so well and is so life-changing has been around since the 1930s, but wasn't marketed to women because it didn't bring people back into the into the store every month to buy the billions and billions of disposables. It's it's unfortunate, but that's just one example of of many products that that we've been programmed to buy and to consume and this kind of consumer constant consumerism and consumption society that we live in now. So if we're going to change that, it absolutely has to be capitalism at work and shifting that mindset so that we can we can create change. And I think that's what B Corp's all about. And that's why we're really excited about that, uh, that movement, because now we've got a little bit more of a platform to communicate those messages. What are some of the most exciting B Corps or startups that you guys have met through the movement that really inspire you? Oh my gosh, there's so many. There's so many. Actually, what surprised me when we were at the conference in was in LA in September was um, how many small businesses like that have really committed to this. And there's a town in Vermont that the entire city, like from the plumbers to you know the the local printer to everybody, has restaurants have all become um, certified B Corp. I think they have a hundred in their town that are all certified. And so that's an example of, you know, the power of of this capitalism at work and how we can we can all work together. But we've met some really interesting technology companies. Uh, there's quite a few in our own community. There's a great company that in uh, near us called Lucky Lucky Iron Fish, and they have this iron. It's literally a fish made out of iron, and and you use it to get iron in your water when you're cooking a soup or something. And they're they're donating them to to developing nations that are that's a big problem is the iron deficiency. Um, but lots of cool, lots of cool things, and a huge, huge movement from the South American community. And actually, the next B Corp is going to be in Mexico, which I'm really excited. And it won't be next year; it'll be the year after. They're doing a huge conference there, and the young people involved. They have students. They they were sending up university students to really be the future leaders for um, for creating better businesses. So, in terms of creating better businesses. Two of the big problems I see, at least in the in the spaces we're talking about, are disposable goods and then the packaging around them. Mm-hmm. How do we fix this problem? Because it's absurd, especially in the U.S. It seems like everything's wrapped, and then you have another wrapper inside of the package, and then another one. Whereas in Europe, at least, 
I don't know. Most of it, I believe, is based off of sustainability beliefs and regulations, but there just seems to be at least a lot less. I know. I saw the other day a picture of a banana wrapped in a in like a styrofoam thing with with uh, plastic wrap around it. I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, so sorry. I forgot the question. What was the question? Don't <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> no, it's it's good. How do we get rid of all of the garbage surrounding CPG and packaging? Well, again, I think it needs to come from two places. I think consumers need to advocate that they don't want to see that packaging anymore. Um, that, you know, sending letters to the companies. And it has to come from the companies to commitment to to reduce packaging and to use more eco-friendly, even the ink that you can use, the the cardstock that you can use if you need that in your package. But eliminating the unnecessary waste is just critical um, if we're going to really instill long-term change. What about cradle-to-grave product design or just designing recyclables? I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean by cradle to grave. Can you clarify that? I mean, typically, if you're looking at a company designing something, they're coming up with an awesome product that people want and completely forgetting about it once it gets thrown out. How do we take that process of the throwing out the destruction and make that into something where it's either done in a smart way or done in a reusable, compostable, et cetera way? Something where there's less waste generated. Yeah, I think we really need to look at all products and all categories and you know there's there's a lot especially with um, disposable party supplies and stuff and and those cups and plastic plates and all of that and they're coming up with um, you know biodegradable versions and and more eco-friendly versions and I think unfortunately what's there's a lot of barriers right now with the cost. So if we can try to get the cost down on some of these more sustainable options, uh, that's the one thing with, with our product is it provides a value to the value proposition to the customer that they're saving money. But let's say it was five times more than what they're spending normally in, in a year, that would be a big barrier. So we're lucky in that way. But but all the categories, really, if we can, if we can get more commitment to this area, that hopefully can bring the cost down a little bit and make it more accessible to consumers. I think people will use them. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what business would you go out there and start? What would you inspire people listening to try to? I that's such a hard question. I think the most important thing is to just follow what you're passionate about. If there's a problem that you see, if there's something that that just bugs you and you think, hey, why don't they do it like this? Like, why not you be the person to do that? And that's that's kind of what I like to share with our story is my mom didn't like the products at the time. She didn't like the options and there was a better way. And and she took it upon herself to to make change. And if, you know, a mother daughter team out of our from our kitchen table can build a business like what we've built and change the world. I, I really think that anybody can do it. It's it the 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 playing board has been evened. There's no more it's only like the large company conglom multinational conglomerates that are taking over the world. It's actually the small companies and and with social media and with with the right strategy, anyone can really build a successful business. And I truly, truly believe that. And I'm living proof of that. And they can do it without money, apparently. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's the case today. Um, if with, with everything, I think things move a lot faster now. That was that was our story. But I still stick to the point of that you don't want to grow too fast and take on too much. And that's one of the things when entrepreneurs come to me for advice. And they said, well, I've got like, you know, six different lines that I, I developed and I want to take them to the, to the stores and this is why they're better. And I'm like, how do you think that you're going to be able to do that all at once? And not to say that they're bad ideas, but you can have a million good ideas, but what can you realistically take on and execute? And I, I believe that if you just pick one and focus on it and be realistic and be patient that it will it will bear fruit 
the bane of every ADD entrepreneur, the having to choose one. And and it's been hard for me too, because as we've grown, we get all these opportunities and and then you see your competitors, well, they're doing six things. And so we need to do six things. But that was the best thing that we ever did was focusing. And we still like, we're just now at the point where we feel that we can take on a lot more and we're developing new products and we've got We've got the bandwidth to do that. But up until this point, we have been extremely laser focused on what we were doing. Super important. Hurts a little bit in the short term, but so much more helpful in the long term. Absolutely. Outside of what we've talked about so far, what technology or trend are you most excited about and why? I'm just, I'm so excited about and scared at the same time, but the the entrance of social media has just completely changed the way we communicate. And, and for our business, like when we started, Facebook didn't exist and certainly Instagram didn't exist. And it was still, you would send a chain letter to to your email list if you wanted to tell your friends about something. But that has really changed the speed of business. And I think it's really leveled the playing field as well and allowed smaller companies that are nobody to, to play with the big guys. And and I see a lot of the big companies suffering and they're like, how did these guys come out of nowhere? And they've got like hundreds of thousands of people following them. But that's um, it's a very powerful technology. And there's also other implications and ethics and privacy and, and things like that that are concerning. But if you look at the platforms and, and how it's changed our society and how we share information and communicate, it's really changed the game. Would you say net positive or net negative? I think it's, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. So I'm, I'm going to say net positive overall because it allows us to share information faster. And I've seen what it's done where we can, we can create a movement and I believe when you're authentic and you have the best interests, that sh- shines through and people will will start to catch on. If, if you are fake and you're just doing it just to get followers, you know, people will see through that and it won't last. So what is working for you guys right now with social for other founders listening that might want to implement similar strategies? So it's been a challenge for us. It has definitely changed how we how we communicate but it's also tricky because it's unknown territory and and sometimes we try things and it it doesn't work but i think what's working is uh, one thing we've noticed if it's like too fabricated then people don't really respond well i think at the end of the day people want to connect with the brand they want to connect with a brand that stands for something and we found that we can't just be that brand that appeals to everybody. You're not you're not going to appeal to everybody, so get that out of your head. Just really truly understand your target market and speak to them authentically and and show them what's real. I even I'm I'm starting to build up my personal and I really struggled with that. I didn't even want to be on social media because I was scared of it and I didn't want to expose that part of my life, but I've I've just realize that that's really what people want and they want to connect with you as an individual and they want to know what it's like to be a CEO and they want to know the hardships like you don't have to pretend that it's all it's all roses you know it's it's friggin hard and there's heartache and there's challenges and and they want to see all of that so i think incorporating that into any strategy is really important do you think you have unfair pressure because you are a female founder, which is much lower? It's it's a minority. There's fewer female founders. So everyone's looking to you for either we need you at the conference or we need you to prove that yada yada. I haven't experienced that too much yet. I do feel a lot of pressure, but more from not being a female in as a female founder, but being a female that I have a family and I have two young children that need me and a family that needs me and and I have a lot of pressure on myself and I've gone through extreme burnout a number of years ago and still really kind of have to be take make a conscious effort to to take care of my health because I'm pulled in so many 
directions. And I don't feel that men have those same, same responsibilities in the same way. How do you balance that? And how do you think about, I know in general, Silicon Valley and US companies have a reputation for burning the candle at both ends and being incredibly hardcore, whereas Canada is a little bit more laid back when it comes to life. How do you handle Mm -hmm. that? What are your processes for managing a, a, a solid team, a thriving business and also your sanity? Well, there's different parts. Like there's things I do personally that are really important that I'm I'm constantly working to make sure I have the right nutrition, nutrition and exercise, sleep, meditation, like all those self-care things are really, really important family time. And, and I make a conscious effort and I've, I used to feel really guilty about those things. And I've learned through my journey that they are they are critical and I'm, I'm not any good to anyone and maybe things move slower and I just have to be at, at peace with that, that maybe, you know, I'm, you can't sit there and say, oh, wow, wow, look at what they're doing and I should be consuming every minute of every day to, to do that myself. You have to have a life and life is more than, than working. So I do make a very, very conscious effort and just release the expectation on myself and whatever happens, happens. I just, I've had to, I've had to surrender to that, which is very, very difficult to do as an entrepreneur. I can tell you that much. As far as a corporation, we have, um, we instill the same, same values here. We, uh, we're one of Canada's top employers and we really value for our, our team, like pretty much everyone's gone by, by five o'clock and we want them to have a life. We want them to have self-care and time to work out. And, and uh, if that means things move slower, we, we also have to be comfortable with that. It's not always the case, but it is something that's really important to instill those values in our, in our company as well. Have you seen the Canada tech boom now that the U.S. has made it quite hard to allow foreigners to come here? I'm not too aware of that, but we are in a very unique area. We are an hour west of Toronto in a community called Kitchener-Waterloo, which is the Silicon Valley of Canada. And we have some of the most incredible technology coming out of this region. So it's really exciting. It's an exciting community. So we have, we just have a massive boom. Our whole community is booming and there's there's uh, there's a lot of technology being used worldwide that comes right out of our our city. Yeah, you guys are pushing quantum quite a bit, correct? That I've, I'm not the best person to talk about all the different technologies, but I know that you know between digital animation, video games like Pixar, a lot of the Pixar stuff comes out of this region. Telecommunications is huge. A lot of software development really changing the world. So it's look it up, Kitchener Waterloo. Yeah, University of Waterloo, I want to say is one of the leaders worldwide for for quantum computing as well. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Today's episode is brought to you guys by NetSuite by Oracle. I know I personally struggle with staying on top of business expenses, and that's even running a small team. I can't even imagine some of the large organizations out there. That's why those guys trust NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system that offers a full picture of your business, everything, one place, finance, inventory, HR, customers, you name it. No more guessing, no more worrying. Run your business like it's a business. Companies like Ring, Hint, Bowl, and Branch, and over 19,000 others trust NetSuite because if you don't have your house in order, it's real hard to build it bigger. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive their free guide, the seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash disruptors. That's D-I-S-R-U-P-T-O-R-S, netsuite.com slash disruptors to get that free guide, the seven key strategies to crushing growth for your business. I struggle with managing the numbers, you struggle with managing the numbers, and there's so much more that goes right into running a business. Make sure you've got that top level overview. NetSuite.com slash disrupt. And now on with the episode. In terms of we've talked about positive. Let's go for the flip side, dystopian. What technology or trend are you most worried about and why? I'm I'm equally as worried about social media, especially as a parent of I have a nine and ten year old and you know now they're wanting to get on TikTok and and all these platforms. And so I'm equally as worried as powerful as they are, but there's there's so much risk and I worry about 
um, you know, bullying and like for the for for children, especially the the dangers of social media and and privacy and and getting stalking and things like that. I I worry about all of that as well. How do you balance all of that with your kids? I know it seems like there's pretty decent spikes in mental health disorders worldwide, which seem to be correlated with more loneliness and social media. How do Mm -hmm. how do you handle that as someone who is doesn't have kids quite that age, but would like to learn from those further along. Well, we've already made the mistake of allowing too much screen time and seeing the detrimental effects of even just like watching YouTube and and playing games and limit the screen time, use an app that, that monitors and there's lots of apps out there to kind of monitor and and put limitations on on that because it is really detrimental it affects short term memory and uh, I mean we've experienced that in our household and we pretty much let them only use it on the weekend now and limit the time and that has made a big big difference because kids aren't active like they're not being kids yeah it's, they're it's just, overstimulation and, it's too easy yeah. And they don't know how to communicate with people anymore. They don't know how to have a conversation with a friend because they only text. <laughs> and it's I'm I'm honestly concerned about what's going to happen to our society when if we continue down this down this path. Too, there has to be balance and putting them in things to counteract uh, the effects of that. Yeah, it's, it's problematic. It's like porn or cocaine because the stimulation is so great just from screen time that everything else seems obsolete. I know. And we don't I'm, even have solid virtual reality yet. I know. And and like my nine-year-old will come and say like, mom, I'm bored. I'm like, what do you mean you're bored? We have like, you know, 25 different board games and there's like, why don't you go? We've got snow, lots of snow right now. Go build a snowman. Go play outside. And like, well, they don't they don't even want to because they're so addicted but they even get bored of that so i think we just we put them in a lot of activities so they don't have time we have them in lots of sports and and is that good or bad let's play devil's advocate i think it's a good thing because they're actually communicating and learning how to communicate and socialize with other human beings in real life and you know it's keeping them active but i feel like as parents we have to work harder to keep kids active and they're no longer just you know, running around the neighborhood, you need to put them in, in structured things. And like we have our kids and there's so many options now and you can try so many different things. There's like really cool kind of ninja stuff where they can climb on things and just learn how to, how to, you know, build their fitness, I think really is a great counter to the pull to screens. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky tricky balance. What do you think about their futures, the future of education, the education system? Jobs are changing. Definitely, I think jobs are going to look very very different in another even ten years from now. I think a lot of jobs will be obsolete. I I feel like as a society we won't have. I don't I don't fear that part of it. Again, I'm kind of an eternal optimist, but I do feel that there's a lot of opportunity for new new jobs like for example I mean big data and data analytics wasn't really a big thing before and now there's it's an emerging area there's lots of jobs coming into those into those areas so I think we have to start start early and I personally we have a lot of issues with our school systems and we've decided and we're fortunate that we have this option to to put them our kids in a private school and that's just something why did you decide class to do sizes. That? it was mostly because of the large class sizes and just there's other things happening here that uh, i mean for example that three days this week our school board's on strike there's a lot of issues and and uh, we we just like the attention and the the global outlook i think as a society we need to build global-minded children and future leaders. And I just, I, I don't see that happening. It's the teachers are really overwhelmed with these large class sizes. And, and what's, what's a large the, class size? I would just want to clarify because one thing I notice, especially with U.S. listeners or with people from the U.S., is when they hear something's bad somewhere else, they blame it on socialism. And they don't, oh. <laughs> they don't compare that to how that is 
where they live? Um, it's most of the class sizes in elementary in Canada are around 30 kids per class. Okay. And to me, that's a large class size because I have a lot of friends that are teachers and it, they also have integrated children with special needs into the classes. And it's, it's very, very difficult to, and there's kind of like the kids that actually need help usually, usually are able to get the help, but it's kind of the kids that don't really need help, but I, you're, um, you're bringing up the average, but not bringing up the ceiling. Yeah. It's just kind of, they're just sliding by and, and, um, they're, I don't see that as a positive thing for society. If you had to design one class that would go in for general education system, let's say once we got kids in high school, what would it be and what would you get rid of? I definitely think, and I, I know that this is already happening, but I think we should be teaching entrepreneurship and the future of, I think, both Canada and the U.S. is successful entrepreneur, entrepreneurial small businesses. And currently in Canada, they make up a large part of our economy and it's growing substantially. And so we need to fuel that. And just the way things are changing, I don't, I don't see business and the GDP being controlled by these large conglomerates. It's going to be the small the small businesses. So we need to teach that so, so they have a chance to become successful and understand how to manage books and manage money and manage risk and, and just be smart. Uh, again, global leaders, like global leadership and, and putting, trying to move the needle in, uh, in education and in the way that, that these businesses are affecting the environment and affecting the economy and affecting things like equal rights, it's all changing. And, and I think that's, uh, that needs to start at a very young age. What was the process like to become a, P, a B Corp? It's actually pretty, um, pretty intensive. Uh, we, we luckily already had a lot of the points. It's based on a point system. And so you have to, you have to go through it. And there's like different ways to gather the points. And uh, it's pretty, pretty intensive. But once you get the certification, it's actually the recertification that's even more difficult. And it's constantly evolving and the standards are being raised for B Corps. So some of the original ones, like you have to constantly up your game. And with a lot of these different certifications, it's continuous improvement. And we're used to that because we're also ISO certified and we have a lot of different certifications like that. So we're used to constantly challenging ourselves to say, okay, well, we did this, that's great, but what else can we do? That's kind of part of the mentality of uh, becoming a B Corp is uh, constant improvement in and trying to get higher, higher scores each, each audit. And let's flip side it from a dollars and cents perspective. Why does it make sense to become a B Corp? Why is this something other founders should consider? How does this help move the bottom line, move the needle, move the mission? It is definitely an investment. And maybe some people feel that it's not worth the investment because can you really measure that ROI for becoming a B Corp? I, I know for our business, it's more um, how we look at it as it really aligns with our values as a corporation. And it has affected our bottom line because it's created happier, more engaged employees and, and increased retention. And that, has, that does affect your bottom line. But also from a consumer base, I mean, we just had uh, a tweet yesterday saying that, you know, I went to replace my, my Diva Cup. It was time to get a new one. And I saw that the company was B Corp and it was just like made my day because now I'm not only getting to use this product that I love, but they're also certified B Corp. So I think that was a really positive thing and, and uh, affects the consumers are demanding more transparency and it just feels right to me. I would agree. I was just curious if you'd seen a bump in conversion rate or anything, having that displayed on the site. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's one of those things. I think that the world is moving that way and needs to move that way. It's just there's a lot of forces that are gridlocked, so to speak, or not wanting to move very quickly in that direction. I know. It's unfortunate. But we have to keep trying. Yeah. Don't uh, don't quit. No point, right? What um 
What's one thing we haven't talked about that you think or you would have liked to? What I think is so important to communicate is be persistent, find your passion, and and just don't give up. No matter what anybody says to you, we we had so many doors slammed in our face. We had um, in our industry buyers telling us that no one will ever use this. This will never work. And, you know, you might as well just throw in the towel. And it's discouraging when you hear these things and you hear all this resistance and rejection over and over. But what grounds you is is having that that passion and that belief and that unwavering belief that you know in your heart and you have to follow your intuition. Everything in our business has been really guided by our our gut. And every time we didn't listen to it, there was something that happened that afterwards we were like, we should have listened to our gut. Um, but it's it's really important. And no matter if it's something, especially if you're paving the way with something new that that no one's heard, if, if you're thinking of that idea, that's that's for you to follow. I mean, who would have thought that that we'd be pursuing creating a, a menstrual product that's like just it was it was kind of almost like a fluke, but it was something that when when my mom thought of that and when she introduced it to me, it was like that light bulb moment. And we became so passionate about it that it did not matter what anyone said to us. We're like, okay, that's fine. We'll go on to the next thing. That doesn't work. You go on to the next thing and you just don't give up. I like that. And I think the one of the last things you brought up was almost the most important. The when you hear something and you just can't get the idea out of your head, you can't give it up. That spark. When you have that spark, you need to have that spark when you're starting a business because it's going to be a miserable shit show of a roller coaster where you hate your life at times and other times are incredible highs. And to ride through those highs and lows, it can't be a passion. It's got to be an obsession, something you have to do. Absolutely. And it sounds like this is something you have to do. I want to start to wrap things up because I know you've got a lot on your plate. I want one thing from you now, Kareen. A quote, a call to action, it can be anything. What would you want to leave listeners with before you tell them where to find you? I really highly recommend that if you're starting a business, you find a mentor and find somebody and it doesn't have to be the same product or the same business exactly, but find someone else that's been through this roller coaster of business because it is a roller coaster. And if anyone tells you it's easy, they're lying (laughs) because it's not. It's, It's very, very challenging. And I totally agree with Matt. Like there's times when I just was so, so deflated. I just didn't even want to keep going. But that's when you grow the most. And to have somebody on your side, then, and it can't be someone in your family. It has to be someone kind of an outside, find find that mentor, find that group. I love my tech group or other, there's other organizations. Just find people that can help guide you through the ups and downs and navigate and don't try to do it alone. It's it's just it's it, you're gonna end up giving up very quickly. Um, so it's it's definitely an important piece. If you got a dream, it takes a team, and if it doesn't take a team, you're not dreaming big enough, guys. I don't know who quoted that, but I'm stealing it now. Kareen, thank. Oh, I love that. <laughs> thank you for coming today. Where can people find you? Learn more about you and what you do. Well, you can find me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search my name on Instagram and follow follow our exciting journey. We also just did something completely wacky, a big passion project and created a documentary called Pandora's Box, which is now in the film festival circuit. And so you can find, follow that journey. Why'd you do and, that? Well, again, it was, it was kind of this passion that we've, we've begun working with so many different organizations, working towards ending period poverty and, and what in, wait, 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 wait. What is period poverty? I, I can't let you get away oh, with that one. Okay. <laughs> this is going to go on. Period poverty is the lack of accessibility to and an inability un, uh, to afford menstrual supplies, which, you know, 400 on any on any given day, 800 million people around the world are menstruating and 400 million of them can't afford to have any products or purchase any products or have accessibility to products 
to manage their menstrual cycle. And if that sounds as terrible as I imagine it is, then this is a problem that we need to solve. It is. And and in the film we interviewed, uh, there was there was some someone interviewed that said if, if this was a problem that affected men, that it would have been solved a long time ago. But there's a lot of inequities as well around around the taxation, around menstrual supplies around the world, especially in the U.S. There's a big campaign. There's now 30, uh, 32 states still tax menstrual supplies uh, and don't consider them necessities. So they're not exempt under kind of these products are necessities. But things like gun club memberships, cowboy boots, and Viagra are considered necessities and not taxed. In case you got to shoot a bull and impregnate it. <laughs> Yeah, so, th- th- there's um, a lot yeah. of du- there's a lot of double standard. God, Georgia and Alabama just rolled back. Um, they're the, they're rolling back women's rights left and right. It's like we're going to the fifties. It's um, it's a little bit terrifying to see some of these things happening. And there definitely is a pink tax when it comes to a lot of things for women. Definitely, and and the the documentary raises awareness on all of these issues and takes a global approach. Uh, global view. We filmed in four continents, two countries in Africa, and India, the UK, the US, and Canada. So it's really um, interviews with with um, kind of people who have experienced these challenges, and on the flip side, the advocates and activists that are really making change around the world. So it's really powerful. It's a really powerful. I think a lot of people will be completely shocked when they see the film. And um, we've already won awards for the film. It's it's being very well received. I can imagine. Well, thanks for coming here, taking the time, doing that, educating people and trying to improve the world in the process, Kareen. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. It was a strange one. I wanted to make a lot of puns and managed to stop myself. Now, <laughs> if you guys want to find out Kareen more of what she's doing, disruptors.fm. Check it out there. We've got all the links and everything in the show notes. Say hi to Kareen. Pick up a Diva Cup. Or, I, I don't know, it's, it's a strange thing to talk about with a friend, so why not do it? And until next time, cheers. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's something I strive towards and fail towards every single day. If you enjoy this podcast, if you think the world could benefit from conversations like this, the greatest compliment you can give us is referring to the disruptors to a friend or talking about us on social media. Please take 30 seconds to do so. It would mean the world to us. And if we're lucky, help us build towards a better world. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for helping us spread the message and have a great day. If you want more of The Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.